Who's ready for the word today? That's something that never gets old, right? Always, always fresh bread there. We are going to spend most of our time today in a story out of the book of Joshua, chapter 10. And it's, I feel like I need to read the first 14 verses in this story to kind of build the backdrop and the setting so that we can properly dig in. We're going to really mine some treasure today out of this story. Um, I'm never, I never cease to be amazed by God and the freshness of his word. How many know you can read a story a thousand times and on the one thousand and one one thousand and first time that that was weird the one yeah whatever one thousandth time that you do um, you can see something you've never seen before you can hear something that you've never quite heard from God that's fresh that's cutting that's piercing in the moment of your life that you're in right now that's what the word of God does it illuminates it's operative it's effective and powerful in every single moment of our lives it is timeless no matter what you've been through or going through or will go through, there is always something fresh, always something life-giving that you can draw from out of this well that never runs dry. Amen? All right, so Joshua chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, let's read along, and if you don't, you can follow along on the screen. Now, it came to pass when Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken I and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, he sends to five, four different kings besides himself. So he sends to Hoham, king of Hebron. He sends to Piram, king of Yarmuth. He sends to Yaphia, king of Lachish. And he sends to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites king of Jerusalem, king of Hebron, king of Yarmuth, king of Lachish, and king of Eglon, they gathered together and they went up and they and all their armies camped before Gibeon and made war against it. So then the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal and said, do not forsake your servants, come up to us quickly and save us, help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, now listen, this is, the Lord speaks right here in this moment. The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua therefore upon, uh, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal, approximately 30-mile march through the night. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the roads that goes to Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel 
and were on the descent of Beth Haran, so they're chasing them down now, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than, were more who, uh, than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Listen, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day, in the daytime, when the, when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Yashur? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There has not been a day like that before it or after it. And the Lord heeded the voice of a man. The Lord fought for Israel. It's a great story, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit in this place right now. God, we know you have a word for us today, and it's a word that's going to bring life. I believe that it's going to speak into situations more intricately and more detailed than any of us could possibly imagine, God. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit, and customize this word specifically for every open heart. And give me, God, just your anointing in these moments to speak and preach the word that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, awesome story. And basically what happens, let's kind of build the context here, is, you know, Joshua is leading Israel into the promised land now. Moses has departed. His, his time is over. They're coming out of the wilderness. It's time to go and uh, sack the lands that God has promised them in Canaan. And so Joshua is leading these campaigns. He comes through, and the very first city that God leads them to after they cross the Jordan River, come out of the eastern wilderness and into the Canaan land, the valley that flows with milk and honey, the first city that they go to is Jericho, all right? So let me just talk about this for a second, because there's a little message packed into this today. Jericho was what's called a first fruits city. God gave specific instructions about Jericho. He said, when you, when you take Jericho, this city is important because it's the first one. So when you do, all of the treasure, all of the loot, all the bounty, booty from the, from the campaign, no one is to take any of that for themselves. This is the first fruits city, and so that is to the Lord. This is the offering to the Lord. So specific instructions were given. All right, this is a picture of what the covenant of the tithe is for us in our lives. We give the first fruits that God has for us, that he blesses us with. The very first off the top, first fruits, 10% tithe, 10th, goes to the Lord. And what the Lord says is that I will bless the rest and everything else that I have to give you if, as you trust me in faith and you give the first fruits. That's a statement of faith, living by faith, that everything else I have for you is, is on its way, right? It's not the end, it's not the last 10% after we feel secure because we got the first 90% in our pocket now. It's the first 10% because we trust that God is still bringing the rest. So here's what happens as they did that. And they conquered Ai. There was one of the men in Israel that went and he robbed some of the loot for himself and hid it. 
and they go to Ai, the second city, and they begin to attack it. And, in, and what ends up happening is Israel loses the battle. And they're all bewildered because the Lord's already said, these are your lands, I'm going to lead you into this, you're going to conquer these peoples. And they come back and they seek the Lord. What happened? Why did we lose? I mean, obviously we'd be a little bit disheveled, right, at that point. What happened? And the Lord revealed to them that they had taken what was his. And so God revealed that the man in the camp had stole from the Lord and when they found that out, and they brought him, and he restored back what was God's. They went back to Ai, and they took it, and they conquered it. And so what's the point of that? The point is, is that God said specifically, I will bless the rest if you give me the first. I'm most important. I'm first in your life. But if we get that out of order, or we try to take what's God's because we want something for ourselves, or we need to feel more secure then it affects the promise and the covenant that God makes with us when he says, I will bless you if you walk in faith and covenant with the tithe. It's just a very important thing that we see that Jericho was a first fruit city. So Joshua comes in. Let me just, I want to draw a little bit of a picture for you of how this looks. So you have, this is Israel, okay? And then you have the Jordan River. It kind of flows along this side. And Joshua and the Israelites were in the wilderness to the east. And they came through and they crossed the Jordan River. And the first city they went to was Jericho. All right. And then after they did defeat Ai, they sacked it. And... Gibeon is a city in this area of Israel, of Canaan as well, but they tricked Joshua. They came to them because they were terrified that they were going to be killed and defeated and slaughtered as well, and they acted like they were from a distant land. They acted like they were from far away and that they had come to make a treaty with Israel. So they were tricked because God said, you're going to conquer all the cities in this land. But when they thought they were from somewhere else, they made friends with these people and made a peace treaty with them. Well, then they came, come to find out after the fact, Gibeon and their leaders lied. They actually even took moldy bread when they came to Joshua to make it look like they'd been traveling for a long time and even their bread had molded. So they tricked them. But the point that I think is interesting here is that Joshua is a man of integrity and let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And because he made this treaty with them, he held to it. So Gibeon forms this treaty with Israel and now the cities that are all in the southern region, these five Amorite cities, decide to form an alliance because they heard that Gibeon formed a peace treaty and they were afraid now that they were going to be attacked and be overran. Now here's what's, what's really powerful to me is that later what you'll find is that they go on to defeat these Amorite cities in the southern region. There's a whole southern campaign and then later on they go and they make a northern campaign and they defeat all of the lands to the north. And then when it's all said and done towards the end of the book of Joshua, you see that the lands are divided by way of inheritance to all of the tribes of Israel as was promised by God through Moses. But here's what's so cool. 
is that Joshua broke this thing in half when they defeated these initial cities in the center. It was a genius, brilliant military strategy. He separated these northern and these southern lands so that they couldn't strengthen themselves against Israel. When they came in, they essentially separated the alliances to the north and the alliances to the south. They defeated these areas right here in the middle, and then they began to move forward to the south, and then they moved up to the north. Why do I tell you that? Because God will reveal to us the very strategy by which we would be led in our lives to accomplish his will and his purposes for us. But the enemy also has a strategy. And the Bible is clear that we are not to be ignorant of those devices, of those schemes, of those wiles of the devil, for he is a formidable foe. So he has battle plans too. And he's forming those and waging those against us, against our lives, all of the time, never sleeping. But when we are led by the spirit and voice of God in our lives, then the plans and the strategies by which we operate are superior, more wise, and more cunning than what the enemy can come up with against us. Does that make sense? So you could try to formulate your own plans... But I think we've all probably figured out how that ends every time, right? Our efforts and plans do not stand a chance against the cunning enemy that we're up against. But the plans of God revealed to human hearts will carve a path in the wilderness that will bring us to victory over our enemy every single time. So this was like a brilliant military strategy uh, that Joshua unfolded before them. And so then Gibeon uh, gets attacked, or these Amorite cities, these five kings, they form alliance and they come up to the city of Gibeon, which is also kind of up here towards the center. And they're going to attack the city. So Gibeon sends to Joshua and Israel. He says, hey, you guys need to stick to your word. You formed a treaty with us. You need to defend us. These enemies are here and they're going to attack. And I love this. Joshua, boom, instantly begins to march all night long with the warriors of Israel. There's an immediate response of a man who is holding up to his word. Isn't that awesome? I think we need a little more of that in our world today. He sends in his troops and they march 30 miles roughly all night long. Didn't sleep, didn't take a break. They arrive in the morning and they immediately go right into battle. No rest whatsoever. They march all night long. He gets there and we see that um, the battle unfolds and there's a series of events that take place. And we're going to kind of walk through this battle today to, to get our message. But there's this moment that comes, and this is where I really want to draw your attention to, where Joshua prays a prayer that is kind of unlike any prayer we see in the Bible anywhere else. He, he prays a prayer that the sun would stand still. In the moment of battle, so that the victory can be finished, Joshua has the guts, the courage, 
the spiritual strength to pray a prayer as crazy, as almost unthinkable, as God, would you make the sun stand still so that we could finish defeating our enemies? And here's what I think. I think sometimes in our lives, we arrive in these moments where we're in a battle. All of a sudden, we're in a fight. Maybe it isn't a fight that we picked, but we're in it nonetheless. And we can get knocked off on our heels. And we can begin to sort of pray and operate almost from like a panic mode. Does that make sense? Where it's like all of a sudden we're in disarray and we're in panic and we're praying. But if we're honest, we're praying almost from like a place of fearfulness. We're terrified by what is happening around us. When really, God has a plan in our battles, in our moments of warfare, to really raise us up. If we would have the strength and the audacity to pray prayers like sun stand still in our moments along our journey. I just wonder if I'm going to get to heaven and God is going to say, I'm proud of you, you lived a great life, but you know there's an account for everything in our life, right? Every word that we've said, all that stuff, right, before the Lord. I wonder if I'm going to get there and God is going to say, you know, you didn't pray big enough. You, you, you prayed, but you prayed for things out of panic. You prayed for things when you were in disarray. You, you prayed for things that maybe you didn't see the bigger potential in what could happen, right? I mean, think about this in a moment. Joshua is sitting here, and he's fighting this battle, and he looks around, and it's going, the day's about ready to be over. But God has already said, I, you're going to defeat these enemies until none of them are standing. And he's, it's almost like he's looking around, and he's like, it's not over. There's still a lot of them. It's getting ready to go get dark. I, what are we going to do? I don't know. God, would you make the sun stand still? Would you do that, God? Because that'll help us finish our enemies. That'll help us get the job done. It's a prayer from a moment of courage, of bravery, but it's a prayer that reaches all the way to heaven. It says, God, you're going to have to do something absolutely miraculous here in this moment. And so the title of the message today is Impact Praying. Impact Praying. Because I want to challenge us today. I want to really push us and stir us up to ask the question, are my prayers really big enough? Am I really believing God for big enough things? Because when we get a picture of this plan that God has for our life that's filled with you know, supernatural events, miraculous living that God compels us to and draws us into, really when we look out and we get a glimpse of what God is leading us into, it ought to overwhelm you in the natural it really ought to cause you to stop for a moment and jolt you in your tracks and think there is absolutely no way that this is possible. If you don't think that, then I wonder if you're seeing big enough. 
If you can look at what you have aspirations for, goals for, or what you think God might have for you in your future, and you can really align all of your natural abilities and capabilities with that picture where you feel like it's possible, then I, I wonder if we're really thinking and seeing big enough. Because God has a vision for us that's so big that it always ought to make a step back and when we look around and survey ourselves and our abilities and what we have right now, there always should be misalignment. There should always be a mismatch. Because it's in, his, it's in our weakness that His strength is made perfect. I'm, I'm trying to get you to see that God wants us to live in a place where we are always dependent upon Him showing up to sun stand still kind of prayers to keep winning the kinds of victories that He has planned for us in our lives. That we would be willing to pray with audacity things like sun stand still. It's really not about the sun so much as it is about the prayer that Joshua is willing to pray. So let's take a look first of all at the beginning of this battle. We see the slaughter and the hailstones, right? They go through and they begin to slaughter the enemy by the sword. And it says that God routed the enemy. What does that mean? It means that God was literally intervening supernaturally in their battle as they were wielding the sword. You see this a lot of times. You see stories, David's mighty men, and you know, there were some of his mighty men says that they killed like over a hundred men at one time. How, how does a man do that? Supernatural assistance to the sword, right? He's wielding the sword in a way that's not humanly possible. And they were winning this battle. They were slaughtering the enemy. And the enemy then begins to flee. Now, remember, Remember the word of the Lord. He said, make sure not one of the enemies remains standing. That's a specific instruction. Once the Lord speaks that, we are then responsible to respond in obedience to what we've heard. You understand that? Remember, partial obedience is no different than disobedience. Okay? So he heard that. They heard the word of the Lord. They're striking them by the sword. They begin to flee. So the battle is moving, right? They're chasing him. And then all of a sudden, the Lord elevates the level of supernatural assistance. And he begins to rain down hailstones. And it says that more of the enemy died from these falling hailstones than were killed by the swords of Israel. So God is in this battle every way, shape, and form. You see that. Let me tell you something. When you respond to the word of the Lord with an obedient heart, God will immediately begin to supernaturally assist you in the battle that he is leading you into. I think sometimes we maybe even underestimate how much God is really involved all around us in the things that are going on, in the things he is shielding us from and protecting us from. That makes sense. He's immediately involved in this battle for them. But they get to this point after the slaughter of the sword, after the hailstones, they get to this point 
where the enemy is continuing to flee and the day is getting ready to end. And Joshua recognizes that there's a dilemma on their hands. How are they going to finish killing off these enemies in the dark if they can't see them? How are they going to finish the job in this point? And so, folks, I think we all reach these times where we see some results, we see some traction in our, our battles, but there's still more that needs to be done to finish the job. And God, is it's almost like there's a test here for Joshua. Will you finish, will you follow through to completion in obedience to the command that I have given you? And the requirement of that obedience is to finish off all of these enemies. And so now they are in this moment where Joshua has to look around and figure out how are we going to do that? And his answer, his solution is to look and see a God who is so big and has a word that is so true that if he said, this is what I want you to do, Joshua knows that the God of the universe can provide every resource necessary to make that happen. And out of a moment of audacious faith, he prays a prayer like, son, stand still so that we can finish this job. The prayer was all about obedience to God. You understand that? The prayer was all about finishing and completing what God was telling them to do. But sometimes we get in these places with the enemy where he knocks us on our heels. He, he kind of gets us knocked around. And then we start to pray almost like Hail Mary kind of prayers. Now, I'm not speaking like on the Catholic level, the Hail Mary prayer. I just mean like, you ever play football, right, when you're a kid, and all of a sudden you're the quarterback, and you're being attacked, and then you're just running, and you don't know what to do, and just, <sighs> you throw that back up here. Scott, would you throw that back up here? Oh. So you throw, it's like a Hail Mary kind of prayer. Like, I don't know, Lord, ah! Help me, Lord, help, help. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying we don't cry out to God in our moments of desperation. We do. That's the only place that we should go. But what I'm saying is, if the word of the Lord is really in us, and our faith rests on this truth, that it will always be performed if God spoke it and said it, then in a moment where everything is Hell is breaking loose around us. We can fire a laser like that. You see that was pretty like a laser prayer that's on the mark. And here's why that prayer is so impactful. Because for Joshua to ask the sons to stand still, he, he wasn't just coming up with some crazy out of bounds idea. He was praying in alignment with the will of God. Do you understand that? He already had understanding and faith because the word had been spoken, this is the will of the Lord, that you win this victory and that all of these enemies are defeated. 
So the prayer, sun stand still, was a prayer that perfectly aligned with what God's will was for his people here in this moment. Does that make sense? I mean, think about this for a second. God slaughtered the enemy with the sword. He brought the hailstones. I mean, God could have very easily just made the sun stand still on his own. Couldn't he? I mean, he could have just, Joshua would be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, right on. Good thinking, God. That'll help us. No, here's what God did, and here's what he will do in your life. He will do miraculous things. He will be on the move, supernaturally assisting you when you're walking in obedience, but he's leaving space, and he's leaving room in this equation for Joshua's faith to rise and for him to pray a prayer like sun stands still that God can respond to and then help him finish the job. That's what God is doing and does in our lives. He's all around us. He's always doing something on our behalf if we're his children. But he's going to leave space in our lives because he calls us to be a people of faith. He's going to leave room in the equation and say, will you pray a prayer like sun stand still? Will you rise up and pray prayers and stand in faith in moments that I would respond to that kind of significant faith. Because that's what God is looking for. God is looking for faith. He's looking for men and women of faith who will rise up. You say, I can make the sun stand still. I created the thing. Of course I can make the sun stand still. But I want you to believe that I can. And I want you to know my will so clearly that you recognize that that's the kind of prayer you need to pray right now in this moment, and then I'll do the miracle. I think God's compelling us, guys, right now in our lives at this time we're in. What kind of prayers are we praying? God, can I just get through the day? Oh, God, I just want to survive. Lord, please, just let me come out of Monday alive. I don't know. I don't know if that's really where we need to be. I think maybe we need to recognize that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still the God who can make the sun stand still. And he's asking and looking for faith. I've never been alive in this, on this earth at a time that seems to me more relevant than when the church would be at its greatest point of faith than right now where men and women of God are praying prayers, expecting and believing for the kinds of things like suns stand still. God, would you bring unity in our land at a time that it seems like it's impossible? Because I don't think we can do this, God, on our own. God, I believe and I trust that you're going to do this thing. These are the kinds of expectations that the church needs to be out in front leading the way for. You, do we think the world is going to expect God to do that? Do we, do, we have to be out in front, guys, leading the way in this kind of thing. We say, all right, pastor, I'm ready. I'm going to pray sudden standstill prayers. Well, here's the thing. You have to know the will of God. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. You see, James tells us that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. We never even prayed the prayers. We never even asked God to make the sun stand still. But he also says sometimes you don't have because you pray amiss. You, you pray for things that aren't in line with what the will of God actually is. And so this is where we get to the point that many people have asked me about and probably will as long as I'm in ministry. How do you know the will of God then? If it's clear, if I pray according to his will in faith that he'll do it, then really the next thing I want to know is, how do I know the will of God? Because if we know the will of God and it's in us, then we pray according to that will by faith. We know it will be done. You see, Joshua knew the will of God. He knew because God spoke his word it's right here. This is his will. He spoke his word. Joshua heard that, and he knew. It was clear. It had been settled. God's will is we win this victory, and we fully defeat our enemies. Now I'm going to have to do things like pray prayers that align with that will that cause God to supernaturally do what only he can do that I could never do, because I can't win this victory on my own. If I could win the victory on my own, God, what, what kind of a plan would that be for me, right? And so Joshua prays that prayer because he knows the will of God. We have to discern the will of God in our lives. Well, the word of God is his will. This is his spoken will. But listen to this in John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Here's what he's saying. If you abide in me, you're going to know my will. Does that make sense? You see, we're, we're branches, he's divine. All he's asking us to do is rest in him, abide in him, stay connected to the flow of life. And if we will do that, if we will abide then we will know the will of God so that we can then pray by faith according to the will of God and it shall be done. Does that make sense? You say, oh, that seems real simple. Well, it, it does seem simple conceptually. But you got to recognize that the world is always trying to divide you from abiding. The world and the enemy is always trying to break you from the life source. Let's go back to what I said about God being first, number one. The world is always trying to move your priorities and my priorities around where God is not in that place in our lives, and it is impossible to abide the way he's talking about if that's the case. He's got to be our number one priority. He's got to be first in our life. But as we, too, continue to abide in him, then his will, it's like this, it's like when I first started walking with the Lord, I was so excited, so fired up. Man, Jesus changed my life, and I was just on fire. But, you know, you're st God's still working junk out of you, right? I mean, he's always working junk out of us, but it, it, there was still a lot of junk there that had to be worked out. And the things I thought and the things that I did, it was still like, man, I needed, I needed a lot of correction. 
But the more I walk closely with Jesus, just in this love relationship with Jesus, the more I know him, the more I understand his will, it's like the more my thoughts begin to align with his thoughts. And the more my prayers begin to align with his will. And it really always comes down to this, guys. It really always comes down to deeper levels of intimacy. Closer relationship with the Holy Spirit, who's God in us now, walking with us in our lives, that we may have that relationship, and all of the fruit can be produced out of that. You see, the branch doesn't have to to try to produce fruit. The branch, you like that, John? That's pretty good, huh? Let me do The branch just has to abide because the life is in the vine and the life flows through the branch when the branch abides in the vine, the life-giving source. And when life is flowing through the branch, guess what? everywhere because it's a byproduct of abiding when the life and the very heart and life-giving nature of God is just flowing into every area of our lives Joshua knows the will of God in a moment where he's obedient to what God has told him to do and the prayer of sun stand still arises in him because he knows what God has told him to do And he sees something miraculous, something impossible in his own strength. But he really believes. Please don't overlook this. He really believes in that moment that God will do this. (laughs) He doesn't just fire a Hail Mary prayer up there. I don't know, God. Please do something. God, make the sun stand still. It says there's never been a day like it, never before and never since. And the Lord finished off, they finished off their enemies. It's interesting, I've done a lot of research on this, and when you study history, you actually find that there are a lot of civilizations and a lot of ancient um, people groups who have different stories, um, you know, tales over the years that have been told The Greeks have a legend, a myth, that one of their gods rode a chariot of fire. They captured the sun, and they held it up in the sky for an extra day. The Mayans have an ancient tale about how the sun was delayed. There's all these stories over the years in different people groups about how at some point in history that the day actually was lengthened and the sun was still up for a longer period of time. That's amazing, isn't it? And we know what God did. There are, there are scientific uh, folks who would say things like, well, that's, you know, that's not scientifically possible. Of course it's not. <laughs> and, and things that say, well, well, let's figure out how this could have happened. So there's these theories, this is interesting, about how the sun could have stood still. Some people say that the sun and the light, even though light is you know, a straight ray, that the light was bent, the, it bent, uh, the light was bent and refracted, and it just like continued to twist around and follow the earth. Some people say the earth just wobbled, and it stayed like in the picture of the sun. 
Some people say that the earth just stopped in its rotation. But then other people say, well, that's not possible because if the earth just stopped suddenly, we'd all fly into outer space. And other people say, well, that's not possible that the earth just stopped because all of the rotating lava and, and liquid magma in the earth's core, if the earth stopped in the heat of friction that would be produced because the earth wasn't rotating, it would just melt the whole earth. It's just interesting. Here's where we arrive at this thing. If God created the thing, if he's the one that spoke the sun and the earth and the planets and the orbit into existence, I don't particularly know how he did it. The Bible rarely tells us how. How did the Red Sea part? I don't know. How did a guy like Elijah throw a stick in a river when a steel axe had sank to the bottom and then the steel axe had floated back up to the top? I don't know. The Bible rarely tells us how, but it does tell us that we serve a God who is the God of the impossible and he created all of the natural laws that are in existence. So if he wants to make the sun stand still, then he can do it any well he any way he pleases. Can he not? He says it's not scientifically possible. Let me ask you this. Is a resurrection scientifically possible? Is a resurrection scientifically possible? No. You see, miracles, guys, do not rest on science. They rest on testimony. And this word is the testimony of God. And it always supersedes natural laws. And when we are living our life for God, we have to remember that so that we pray according to the potential of a God who can do the impossible. Because if our prayers are confined and limited to natural circumstances, I wonder if we'll ever pray the way God wants us to pray. We were just talking with some of our team over this past week and saying, you know, man, we just, God has a huge vision and he's taking us big places and we see where we're going and then all of a sudden we look out, you know, even just four or five, six months and here's the things we see we're going to need to do and then all of a sudden it's like overwhelming. Oh, holy cow, wait a minute, this is overwhelming and it should be. It should be because we should look out and we should see a picture of where God's taking us that's so big that we actually have to walk and lead by faith every single day. God is impossible. I see where we're going. I see what you have for us. And it is impossible right now. So I am going to have to pray and believe now every day for you to bring that thing to pass. But if we know it's his will, we know he's leading us down that direction then we can know that he will do things like make the sun stand still in our lives. Whatever that looks like for you, that God says, I'll do anything for my children, and if they'll ask according to my will, it shall be granted to them. I hope that we can look back at the end of our lives and say, I saw some things like that. I prayed some audacious prayers in the middle of some battles that only God could have done. 
And you know what? He showed up. He showed up and he delivered on his promise. That's the God that we serve. This last part of the story just cannot be overlooked. It's uh, jumping down to verses 22 through 25 here. It says those five kings, you remember Adoni Zedek, the, the one that gathered all the troops? These five kings, they ran like cowards. They fleed. They ran into caves and hid. Joshua knew where they were. They covered the caves with these giant stones so they couldn't escape. And they went and slaughtered the rest of the enemies and finished it off. And then they came back to the caves where these enemies were trapped. Listen what happens. Verse 22. It says, Joshua then said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so. They brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Yarmouth, Lachish, and Eglon. And so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua, listen to this, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and they put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward Joshua struck them and killed them, hanged them on five trees that were hanging on the trees until evening. And so it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded that they took them down from the trees, cast them into the caves where they had been hiding, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. Wow. The sun stands still prayer got us here. But this story closes by Joshua making sure he knows what God is up to. But he wants to make sure that the rest of the people understand this too. And he brings them out and he says, here's what I'm going to show you. Bring them out here and get them on the ground and I want you to put your feet on their neck. Because the head represents the source and the root of the problem. He says, this is what I want you to see. I want you to see that God says that your enemies are under your feet. Does he not? Does he not say he will make our enemies our footstool? Does he not say that God has put all things under Christ's feet and that we are the body and that we are in him and all things are under our feet as well? Joshua says, I want you to look at evil and I want you to see where it belongs. I want you to see its proper positioning according to the word, the will, and the authority of God. This thing belongs under your foot. And I think sometimes in our lives when we begin to encounter spiritual warfare, when we become aware because as you live for God, let me tell you something, you start getting on fire for God, you start seeing some faith moments, some impact moments in your lives, you're going to see the enemy too. And when we sometimes come face to face with the reality of demonic spirits and evil warfare, sometimes it begins to terrify people. They become so afraid and so scared. I'll never forget some of the first times that I saw people I prayed for that had demons in their life, literally saw demons manifesting on them. When 
they twitch and they do things and they talk differently with their voice. It's real. I've seen it. And when you see that for the first time, it can freak you out a little bit. Until you go back to this word and you read it and you understand there ain't nothing to be afraid of. Josh says, look at this. I'm telling you, be afraid. Be, don't be afraid. Be of good courage. Don't be dismayed. This thing is under your foot and that's where it's always going to be. Don't you ever forget that so that in the future you remember this and you'll finish the job according to the will of God. And then they cut off their heads. Because the root has to be uprooted. Sometimes we go to certain lengths and we get to a point where we just turn and we don't finish the job. You know, we've, I've sat with a lot of couples who've gone through marriage problems and struggles and challenges. And, you know, you start to examine the word of God and the will of God. You begin to speak life into the situation. And it's like... It, there's almost always instantaneously some fruit that happens, right, when the word begins to happen. But there's progress that needs to occur. When there's a lot of cases I've seen where all of a sudden, oh, you know, things are better now. Well, things are going good now. But it's like, well, well, we really haven't got to the root of this issue yet, you know. There's still more that needs to be done. And then they just kind of move on and depart from this work that they've been in, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, a year, two years, whatever later, boom, 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 circling back around the same place again. Because ultimately, the root was never uprooted. Some people fell in the battlefield. Some hailstones came down, and God did some great things. But the root of something evil or demonic that was attacking their marriage and attacking their life was allowed to stay and the job wasn't finished and it wasn't uprooted and the thing lived to fight another day. Those kings did not live to fight another day. They finished the job. And this sun stand still prayer is what brought us here. And sun stand still prayers will bring you to moments in your life where you will be able to look back and say, there's never been a day like that since. God did something that I will never forget right there. And you know what the greatest to me, sun stands still kind of prayer, is that our life begins with, spiritual life. It's God of heaven, will you save my soul? I'm a sin-filled, fallen, broken person who is lost without you. And I need you so much, God that I'm asking you, by a miraculous event, would you forgive me of my sin and my filth that I've been born into this world with? Will you wash me clean? And will you miraculously fill me with your Holy Spirit that life may flow through my veins and that your word would drive every part of how I live and that it would bring fruit into every area that you lead me into? That's the prayer that begins this journey for all of us. And so as I close, I just want to ask you, appeal to you today, if you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never really given your heart to Christ, you say, man, pastor, I hear what you're saying, and I've heard the stories about Jesus, maybe I've been in church my whole life, you know, but if you can not answer this question clearly, that if you were to die today, do you know for a fact that you would be in heaven in the presence of God? If you don't know the answer to that question, then I appeal to you, would you give your life to Christ today?
Would you invite him into your heart? It's a free gift of grace that you cannot earn. Would you surrender? Would you lay down your will that you may lay hold of his will and allow him to come into your life and begin to lead you down the greatest journey that you could ever have? Or you say, you know, Pastor, I've walked with God in my past, but things and events have just taken me down a broken road, and I don't even know how I got here, but I'm here, and I can't even figure out how to get back to where I was. You're trying to figure out, how do I take those steps? How do I walk that path? Almost like you've got to earn your way back through this trail, this wilderness, to get back to where you were with God once again. Let me tell you something. That's overwhelming, and that's impossible. God says, if you're willing and you're penitent, I will meet you right where you are right now. And we will deal with everything that needs to be dealt with in your life. And we will, you will be restored to a place of righteousness with him. And just begin to walk forward under his grace from this point on. If either of those situations describe you, I want to pray with you today. You say, Pastor, I need Christ. I want to give my life to him today. I want to get back to walking with him the way I once did. While every head just is bowed, every eye closed in this place, if that's you on the count of three, would you raise your hand and I want to lead you in this prayer. Please do not go out of here today without giving your life to Christ. I already see hands going up on the count of three. One, two, three. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Is there anybody else in this place? Man, the Lord is tugging on my heart. I know it. I feel it right now. God is compelling me. Once again, we have to respond in obedience. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. God bless you. He will not force your will. He will not bend your will to his. You must choose. Receive or reject. This is the decision every one of us are faced with in this world. The decision we make to that opportunity, that invitation, affects where we spend eternity. One last time, is there anybody in this place today who says, I need Christ, or I'm ready to get back to walking with Him? Those of you that raised, yes, I see your hand. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, touch them now, God. Say, dear Father God, this is, let me just lead you in this prayer. This is, God, this is your heart today. Dear Father God, I give my life to you. I surrender my will to yours. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. By the confession of my mouth and the belief in my heart, God, you are my King. Would you come to live on the inside of me, Holy Spirit? Would you make me a new creation? Would you strengthen me and lead me, God, to everything that you have for me? Forgive me of all this sin anything in my past I tell you today behold all things pass away and all things become new to those who are in Christ by the blood of Jesus that a way has been made that a gulf of separation that sin created can be closed and a bridge is built by the blood of Christ that restores us and makes a way for us to go back into relationship with Him and live for eternity with Him in heaven. Thank you for this today in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and I saw many hands go up, let me say a couple things. First of all, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And heaven is rejoicing. The Bible tells us that when one person gives their